Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Owner to Owner podcast. My name is Felicia Harris and I will be your host this morning. Now, you already know, owning a company is complex. There are a zillion moving parts. And when you bring employees to the picture, things get even more complex. Whether you have one employee or 10,000 employees, it can be a challenge to make it all running smoothly. That's where everything HR come in. We do one thing, HR. We're human capital experts. We're problem solvers. We're here to make things simpler. And that's where this complimentary podcast will provide you with the latest HR trends. Whether you do business in your home state or across the United States, you'll be able to call in or email us and talk with HR professionals and other professionals about the issues that keep you up at night. But more importantly, you'll hear best practices from other business owners that have been in your shoes. Now, this morning is no exception. Today we have with us Mark S. Lee, who is the president and CEO of the Lee Group. Now, you must know if you live in the metropolitan Detroit area, you know Mark Lee. And so I'm going to turn it over to him to give you a little bit of background information on him because it is so extensive, I would not do it justice in trying to go through it all myself. So, Mr. Lee, welcome to the Owner to Owner podcast. Well, Felicia, good morning, and uh, <laughs> thank you for having me. You have you smiling over here. I didn't realize, uh, you know, I guess living in Metro Detroit, people should <laughs> should know me, but thank you very much. I, it's an honor to be on here with you this morning. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background about myself uh, and to, to those of you who might be listening. Um, yes, my name is Mark Lee, and people call me Mark S. Lee. Uh, let me start with the very basics. I am from Detroit. I'm a Detroit native. I was born and raised here in the city of Detroit and uh, fairly went to high school here locally. I went to college here locally as well at Eastern Michigan University, and I had my MBA from Northwestern University in Chicago, actually in Evanston, Illinois. And uh, my background, really, when I left with my undergrad, with my undergrad and graduate degrees, um, I really went straight into corporate America. And uh, when I worked in corporate America, I worked on both uh, uh, in, in, for major organizations, major clients locally, nationally, and internationally as well. But I also worked for the advertising agencies, different advertising agencies as well. Um, I did that for about 25 years, and uh, I guess about 20 years, actually, 20, 25 years. And uh, I lived in eight different cities across the country. And in those capacities, Felicia, I ran major marketing organizations. I was the chief marketing officer for major companies locally, regionally, as well as nationally. And then in 2008, um, I decided to take the plunge myself. Um, in the height of the recession, I was working for a major corporation and uh, decided to, uh, on the side, start my own consulting practice, which is the Lee Group, which is what I currently do. 
Uh, the Lee Group is a strategic marketing consulting organization, and we focus on helping companies, small, medium, and large organizations focus on developing strategic plans, specifically in the areas of branding, personal branding, integrated communications. We do training and development, and we also provide additional services, including public speaking in Detroit as well as across the country. Uh, so fast forward from 2008, I started that business in the height of the recession, and I, I went full throttle probably in 2014. Um, and the reason I say that is I was still working in corporate when I started my business, and uh, you know through, through company companies uh, company acquisitions and, and transformations, um, I decided to step out of the corporate life full time and focus on my you know, focus on my business. The other part of me, very briefly. Um, is I do have uh, two radio shows here in Detroit. Um, I have a one show that's focused specifically on entrepreneurship and small business development in Detroit as well as across the country, and that is called Small Talk with Mark Esley. And I do another radio uh, another radio show on another radio station focused uh, it's called In the Conference Room with Mark Esley, and that show is much more of a general interest show. So one show is focused on business. The other show is focused on uh, what else is focused on general interest stories affecting Detroit as well as across the country. A couple other things very quickly, um, as I'm also an adjunct professor at Eastern Michigan University, my alma mater. And uh, beginning next week, the day after Labor Day, will be my seventh year teaching at Eastern Michigan, where I teach in the College of Business, and I teach primarily marketing classes. And then last but not least, I write a business column for Crane Detroit Business. I write a blog for Crane Detroit Business. been writing that for, I think, six and a half years. The most popular blogger that they have, and I, again, I focus on entrepreneurship here in Detroit as well as across, across the country, and I contribute to different TV shows here in Detroit, including uh, Fox 2 News, uh, uh, Channel 7, and, and other outlets here in Motor City. So that's a little bit about myself. So as I think about it, Felicia, I think you're right. If you had to touch base with me, <laughs> I probably have seen you at so many different events around Detroit. <laughs> and that explains why people stop you on the street and say, hey, I saw you speaking recently. <laughs> that is so true. It's, you are all over. You are everywhere. So, But you oh, have so oh. much knowledge and information that my audience and everybody that can utilize because, you know, before the show started, we were talking about how, you know, there's so much activity in the business community here in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's literally across the U.S., but Michigan is just excelling in that area. And it's important for us to communicate our brand, and that's where, that's right. your expertise. Yeah. What know, is and, and the I advice? that you would give to a business? Yeah, you know, I think uh, that's a great question. So let me make it, let me tell you why it's so important about communicating your brand. I'll, and I'll, I'll give you some advice in a second. So let's take the city of Detroit, for example. The city of Detroit has over 62,000 small businesses. And, and uh, we are the fourth largest city in the country when it comes to entrepreneurship. And Wayne County, for example, um, is the second largest county in the country when it comes to women business owners. And the state of Michigan is the ninth largest in the country when it comes to women business owners. So when we talk about communicating your brand, there's a lot of noise out there. You're competing with a lot of other businesses, whether it's small, medium, or large organizations. You're competing against them. And you have to figure out how to continue to distinguish yourself in a crowded and noisy marketplace. So the, the advice that I could give 
businesses starting out is even if you're thinking about starting a business or you started a business, it's something, Felicia, that is very basic and very fundamental before you even think about communicating your brand. But what is your business plan? What is your plan? What are you, what are you trying to achieve? You know, it's very simplistic. It's very theoretical, but it's very necessary as you're trying to grow a business. So the very first step is if you have a business plan, go back and review it. Go back and make sure that is still relevant because a lot of times we write documents as entrepreneurs, we put them off to the side and guess what happens? We get very busy. Then we start thinking inside of the business as opposed to about thinking about the business. So your plan challenges you to think about the business, right? Now, as you, as you develop your plan, other advice and counsel for, for a brand is what do you want to represent? See, the brand is an extension of you. The brand represents your organization is 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 something that you want to deliver it's more than just a product it's it's your personality it's there, there are things that you want to communicate so understand what is your brand so the simplest way of thinking about your business when i say a brand i like to ask a very simple question would you ever buy your business i'm not talking about the business per se i'm talking about the products that you offer so very fundamental question and then the question you take it to the next level is the question is why. Why would you buy your brands? And that forces you to think about your business differently. It takes you from the superficial level, and it takes you into the more introspective level. You're like, whoa, Mark, you're getting very theoretical. Well, here's where I'm coming from. If I were to say, why would you buy your business? The obvious answer, I mean, would you buy your business? The obvious answer is yes. Then I might say, why? You might, well, I have a great price. Okay. I have great packaging. Okay. I offer great service. And I'm going to push back on you to say, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Everybody can say the same thing. They may not deliver on it, <laughs> but from a theoretical standpoint, they might say the same thing. So you really have to think beyond the obvious. So tip number two is really what makes you different? When you think about your brand is what makes you different? Why do people really want to purchase you? And what are the, you know, what what do you want to communicate as part of your overall brand? So that's another tip: is think about uh, uh, think about uh, thinking beyond the obvious and really begin to think very much in depth about your business and why you want to establish relationships with customers. All right. So the bottom line: so two tips. One is re- refresh your plan, make sure you understand your business priorities, so your financials, and then number two is understand how do you want to be positioned in a very crowded marketplace, and that's where your brand comes into play. Now, Mark, should your, you mentioned the business plan. Should that business plan basically be a living document where you're making adjustments to it and you're looking at it more than just once a year or once every few years you're dusting it off? Should it be a living document where you're constantly revising and revisiting it for your strategy you know, for your, where you're communicating your brand and, and whatever your strategic plan is? Absolutely. And I think here, here, this is where the strategic plan has shifted over the years. Years ago, people would write a strategic plan, and they would look at it maybe once a year. And then they, they thought that was an immovable object. <laughs> but now I tell businesses all the time, you should be refreshing and reviewing your your business plan slash strategic plan on a continuous basis. And it's okay to modify it. Now, what I like to do, though, is don't modify um, 
at the beginning of the year, establish your goals and stick to the goals because that you don't want that to be a moving target. However, what you want to modify is okay to to continually adjust your strategies. And what I mean by that is, take for example, if you have a program or if you have a product that's very successful, it's exceeding all of your expectations based on your plan, right? And then, but your plan is saying we want to focus on two or three other, let's say three other products. All right, you get midway through the year, those other two products are not performing well. In fact, they're struggling, they're losing money for you. So the question you got to ask yourself is, as part of your strategic plan, do we continue investing resources in a losing proposition that may not turn itself around no matter what we try to implement? Or do I make a hard decision and say, I'm going to harvest that product, meaning I'm not going to support it, I'm going to slowly let it go, and I'm going to reinvest those resources in my most profitable products or in products where I will certainly try to identify a line extension, a brand extension, or launch a new product. So the point there, using that example, my business goals, my financial objectives don't change because I want to achieve those for the year. However, to your point, Felicia, it's okay to fine-tune and review your strategic plan throughout the course of the year. How often should you do that? Uh, I think that's up to each individual business. In my case, I review mine continually on a monthly basis at least because I just want to know where I am and whether or not I need to adjust my strategy. So do not sit still. Continue to review. Continue to adjust where appropriate. But make sure that your financial, uh, financial objectives remain, remain very much constant. I, I'm like you, Mark. I do visit mines on a monthly basis because there, there's three aspects to our business. We have the financial side of the business. We have the HR side of the business. And we have the training aspect. On the financial mm-hmm. side, for those businesses we act as a consult, it is very difficult to get businesses to say that product or service is underperforming. Why are you still leaving it on your books because you're constantly losing money in that area? It is difficult for them to break away from that. And so it takes a lot of coaching on my side to get them <laughs> to do that. What advice would you give to them that they're holding on to a product or service that really is draining the other aspects of the business that's more profitable they should be investing more in? Yeah, the, the advice I'd like to tell people, we, you know, we've all heard of the 80-20 rule or the 20-80 rule, right? And, and so essentially what we're saying is that 20% of your products and services, right, will account for 80% of your total revenue. Think about that for a second. So that means 20% of one in five, whatever you may offer, those services or products are all, they're, they're generating most of your revenue. So to your point, the question is, why would you go ahead and continue to invest in something that's losing money or marginally losing money? Here, let's put it in more personal terms for you. Let's just say on your personal budget, if for some reason you're expending more than what you bring in every single month, so realistically, you might go back and review your personal budget, and you might say, well, do I really need to have um, you know, this, this particular cable package, or do I need to cut back on it? So realistically, you may say to yourself, well, long term, my revenue, my personal revenue may not increase, so therefore, I need to fine-tune my budget, so I'm, I'm going to cut back on certain things. It's no different than what you do when it comes to your business. And I, don't, I know you have a, a personal, uh, an emotional connection to a product because you may have birthed it, right, from day one. 
But the reality of the situation is not everything's going to be successful. <clears throat> so the advice will be take an objective look at your business. Look where you're losing money. Redirect those resources into components of your business where you think will be most successful because what you want to do is to minimize your losses and mitigate your risks. So, therefore, get beyond the emotional component of it. Look at it rationally from a business standpoint. And if you've got to make a hard decision, you got to do it because your objective is to be in business long term. And those products and services that are draining your business will not allow you to be in business <laughs> longer term. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing, that but the point is it, it can drain you and, and take you out of business before you know it. That is so true. And, I mean, and, and you know, you're a business owner. We, we look at our businesses, that, that's our child, that's our baby. And sometimes we have to, to make hard decisions, you know, when it comes to our children, and they might not like it, but you have to do it in order for you to have, like you say, even have a business to support you, and if you have employees, support the employees too. So you have well, to be well, mindful of that. Hey, let me give you a hard life. Uh, just a real, this, this, um, I like to speak based on facts. So for those mm-hmm. of you listening, you might, okay, Mark, okay, that's great. I hear you. That's, that's great theory, theoretical stuff. But let me give you some real hardline facts. I've written about this in cranes. I've talked about it across many media outlets. I've talked about it in my many speeches. The bottom line is this, 50% of the businesses will not last beyond 12 months, okay, 50% according to the SBA. And according to Bloomberg, 80% of businesses will not last beyond 18 months. Now, that could vary between whatever study that you're looking at, but that's a, those are baseline numbers. And the reason I say, let me point those out. So now you're going to sit there and continue to play with products that may not be bringing you revenue. Do you want to be one of those statistics where you're not going to make it beyond a year? Or do you want to be a, a, get part of that 80% number that's not going to make it beyond 18 months? If those two numbers are not a red flag or wake-up calls for entrepreneurs and business owners, then I don't know what is going to become a wake-up call. So it's incumbent upon you, as a, you being the entrepreneur, the business owner, to make those hard decisions and look at where you need to invest those resources so you can sustain, sustain yourself for three years. I started my business in January of 2008 in Detroit, in Michigan, the state of Michigan, and we were in the height of the recession, the height of the recession, here I am, you know, 11 years later, and I'm still kicking it. You know, I'm still doing okay. And, and I, I had a slow start like everybody else. But like you said, I went back and, and made some hard decisions for the Lee Group. And based on some of those decisions, I'm still here. And that's because I was able to take an objective look at my business. It has some emotional decisions, but they were best for myself and best for my business. And hopefully I'll be here a lot longer as well. I have a question that has come in. Uh, the question reads, how often should you uh, bring out new products and services to market, um, and how should you do that so that it aligns with your brand? And that goes back to your original plan. So when you do your strategic plan, you need to look at your overall portfolio. And first of all, before you start launching new products, I want individuals to consider looking at their existing product line and look at what's working versus what's not working. All right, so that's that's step number one. Step number two is eliminate or harvest those products that we talked about earlier that are not working or they're certainly a profit drain. Now, 
the, the, the coming out with new products, that's part of your strategic plan. Uh, that you, you want to figure out how much how you should do that to augment your overall business. So some people, they might try to launch a new product once a year. Some people may launch a new product once every five years. And then some people may only focus on their core products because that's bringing in most of the pro- uh, profitability. So that's really a business decision. That's a personal decision that's based on your overall strategic plan. And your strategic plan should tie into your longer-term financial objectives for the organization. So to put it another way, some people will say, I want to generate 60%, 70% of my revenue for my core products. And then someone else might say, and as a result of that, I'm going to generate 30% from new products, right? So that's part of your plan over the next 12 months. Then you got to determine what the uh, optimal number of products might be for you to launch to achieve that 30% number so that you achieve your overall business plan for the year. So, as again, it's, it's an individual slash personal decision slash business decision, but it's based on your overall strategic plan and your strategy. Okay. And one other question is, do you have an opinion on employees, uh, not employees, but on customer surveys? Um, customer surveys are still essential. They're necessary, but um, let me let me answer the question this way. We all get inundated now with surveys, and we got to find a way still to, to, to maintain. We got to figure out the best way how uh, how we're servicing our customers. If you're going to do a customer survey, I still recommend it. If you're going to do an online survey, for example, make sure now that it's, very, it's relatively short. A survey should not last longer than 30 seconds. It just should not. Um, the reason for that is is the average attention span of an adult is less than 30 seconds. And actually, the average attention span of an adult is seven seconds. Our attention span is exceeded by that of a goldfish. And that's a statistical fact. When I tell people that they laugh, but it's, it's a statistical fact that a goldfish's, a goldfish's attention span is longer than that of an average adult. So customer surveys are important. So make sure we do customer surveys, ask the right questions, jump right to the meat of it. Just jump to the meat of the survey that's most relevant to what you're looking to survey and looking for um, that ties directly to the services that you're offering. Because you want to make sure that you want your customers to have input to help you affect change. So, yes, I'm still a proponent of customer surveys. The difference is in 2019 is how we deliver those surveys. And so I'm also a big proponent of using technology uh, to survey deliver those survey questions and get instantaneous results so by using SurveyMonkey and, and other forms of technology to deliver those types of surveys for you. Now, mentioning technology, you actually uh, bring something to mind to me. What are, in your opinion, what is the best way to communicate our, our brand utilizing the technologies that we have today? Today, you have to find a combination of traditional and non-traditional media, for example, to communicate your brand. All right. So, so what I mean by that, when I say traditional uh, forms of communicating, yeah, that is, you know, whatever television, radio, print, outdoor, you know, billboard, whatever that might be. In the traditional sense, the old traditional direct marketing, direct mail pieces. However, from a business standpoint, you have to somehow be engaged in technology. How do you use social media now to leverage your brand? How do you use social media to deliver key, to deliver key messages? Here's a great example right here. You have a podcast. 
podcasting was not popular 10 years ago. It wasn't as popular as, um, you know, uh, five years ago. Now you find more businesses and business owners are using podcasting. And they're using podcasting because it's another form of distributing your key messages, extending your brand. So the best way to answer the question is um, don't, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You still want to have a diversified marketing strategy focused on your brand and how you're going to communicate the key messages. So, for example, with, with older, more mature people, if you have a business where you're targeting someone, you know, I use my mom as an example. Um, she, you know, she's, she's a lot older, but my mom is someone, even at her age, she uses a combination of traditional. She still reads the newspaper, but she's gravitated towards technology, right? But she still will use the more traditional means to make a decision. On the other hand, my dad, before he passed, my father would never touch technology. So as a business owner, you need to understand the consumer behavioral patterns for different segments of the population. So let's now segue to younger people, right? I'm talking about people, let's just say, what, 21 to, to 49, whatever, for sake of discussion. A lot of those individuals were raised with technology, and many of those individuals are not going to use the traditional forms of media. So you got to figure out from a communications standpoint, how do we use social media? How do we use other forms of technology to reach those individuals? So this is where the challenge comes in, comes in in 2019 because there's so many tools out there. There's so much confusion. You really have to understand <clears throat> the different market segments, the different technologies out there, and you have to figure out how to match the technology with the customer basis. It's a challenge. It's a difficult challenge. It is, and, and I guess is there a certain number of touch points with each of those? I mean, if, if we take a look at, you know, our social media, you know, mm-hmm. is there any statistics that tell us a certain number of touch points, they, they kind of, you know, start to gravitate towards you or start to recognize you? What, is there any science to that? Yeah, there is, and I can tell you that if you start communicating with people via um, direct mail or, or direct uh the e-blasting, for example, if you're, if you're hitting them once a month, that's too much. People get fatigued. So depending on the product, depending on the messaging, you probably want to scale it back. I have to tell people probably once every, uh, probably once every two months, right, uh, or something along those lines. You don't want to communicate with people over six to nine times a year because what will happen is they will start to, again, get fatigued, uh, they'll get tired of your brand. They will start to take it personally, and they will take their business elsewhere, okay? And so number one. And number two is when you communicate with your customers, you have to keep your messages relatively succinct, brief. It's okay to use visual images because we are our, – our society has become that much more visual, and people want – they want to know it fast. They want to know it now. So do not send out text-heavy you know, print-heavy information because you're going to lose the customers. So in the ideal scenario, you want to communicate with people four to six times a year and and no more than probably nine times a year. You don't want to communicate with them less than four times a year. And the reason for that is that's not giving you enough airplay to build a brand, to build the awareness of your brand or your product with your customer base. Because so what we said earlier in this discussion is that People are getting slammed with messages all the time. So the question and the challenge for you is how do you cut through, you know, cut through the chase, get through all that noise, and yet communicate effectively. 
sort of the touch points I recommend would be probably ideally six times a year. The last thing I would suggest is get the consumer's input. Ask them how many times they want to be communicated to. So we don't think about that, do we? A lot of times we put messages out there thinking they want to hear from us. It's okay to say as part of that customer survey, hey, is it okay if we reach out to you? How many times a year is it okay for us to reach out to you? That way you're putting it back into their lap, and then you're communicating on their terms. Isn't that a, phenomenal, is that a fundamental shift? We've never, done, we've never done that before, Felicia, have we? People always start to communicate with people, and then people feel like, I don't want to hear from you. Leave me alone. But if you put it back in their lap and let them make that decision, you'll be amazed at what happens. They will respond to your messages if they're relevant to them. Well, I'm sitting here going like, wow, six to nine times a year. But then I'm asking, I'm thinking, if that's all I have to do, that takes some things off my plate. But then I thought, do you, when you say six to nine times a year, is that through all mediums, be it social media, direct mail, be it whatever you're, you're doing out there for touching them? Is, is that a total of six to nine times through all of the avenues? No, that's a great question, and let me thank you. Let me clarify that. Thank you. Oh, the come on. You were making me happy there for a second. <laughs> well, well, you know, well, it, it depends on what your marketing it, it depends on what your marketing strategy is. If you're relying heavily, for example, on direct marketing or e-marketing, I would say six to nine times a year. Now, for example, if you're advertising on radio, though, you see, there's, that's a different scenario because once you advertise on radio, um, you know, you're, you're reaching the masses. Does that make sense? You're reaching the masses. And so a lot of mm-hmm. times from an advertising standpoint, you can't control exactly where the messaging is going. So you control the number of times you're putting a message out there. But from a radio advertising standpoint, you should not advertise less than four weeks on radio. You should advertise four to six weeks on radio if you're trying to establish a brand. So that will augment to six to nine times that you're communicating with someone via e-marketing. So collectively, the numbers might be higher. But when you break it out, and that, that you raise an excellent point, you need to look at every channel that you have and then determine the customer touch points and the optimal number of times you should reach them without them getting customer fatigue. So the number of six to nine times a year that I'm focusing on is really in terms of direct contact, e-marketing, e-blasting, sending out your newsletters. I don't send out a newsletter every month anymore. I don't. I send out. I probably, I send, no, no. And, and I was able to track my results, and I noticed that people were dropping off my e-list after about six times. After about six times. So what I've done is, if I have a major event that's upcoming, I will uh-huh. use my I will use my e-newsletter, and I'll start communicating months in advance. So you will get an email from me. If I have an event in May, for example, we will start promoting and communicating with you in January. But what I do is I will start laying out facts, and I will start laying out a scenario for you that's laying the foundation foundation for for that particular event. But then once the event is over, I may, you may get one or two more emails from me because I do an event every May. You might get an email from me in June or July. And then for the back half of the year, I go black. I go black in terms of my e-blasting. And people are like, well, I don't, I don't get an email from you anymore, Mark. 
and which means one, they're missing me, which is not, which is great. But I looked at my statistical data, and after six times, I was losing people. People were like, I don't want to hear from you anymore. You, you're talking to me too much, too much. So again, go back to your individual strategy, understand what you're trying to do, your objectives, and then adjust your strategies accordingly. Wow. I just rocked your world, okay. didn't I? <laughs> you did. You did because I'm sitting here and going like, I, I, I've been so guilty because I've been so busy. I haven't been able to keep up our newsletter the way that mm-hmm. I was sending them out, and I was doing them monthly. And so I'm sitting there going like, I shouldn't feel that guilty because only a few people really have asked about it. So I might look, need to yeah. look at it and say, maybe send it out quarterly or, you know, so – yeah, you did. You, you. I think I think quarterly. I think quarterly is. I think either quarterly or bi-monthly is very good. I do. You know, so you talk about four. I was at you know, four to six times a year, and but you know, I, I know it's myself. Somebody, if someone starts e-blasting me monthly, I will I will unsubscribe after a while. And the reason for that I is agree. I find it. Mm-hmm. So that and that gets to your point earlier. That's too much. I'm tired of being inundated with all. The e-blasting, so technology, let's go back to the technology discussion for a second. Technology has made it so easy to communicate with people that people are just e-blasting without thinking about the business implications. So if you think about the business implications and how and its potential impact on customers, again, it goes back to my earlier comment, you'll be amazed at how you start to think about your business differently and how you communicate with people differently, thus impacting your brand. I don't want people to think of the lead group and say, oh, my gosh. He just harasses me on a monthly basis with these e-blasts. But I want them to think about my brand as someone who offers services to my business that are solutions-focused. So every time he communicates something to me, he's communicating something something to me that addresses a specific need for my business. Again, do you see the the difference? And and when people send out something – and I think what happens when people send out something monthly, they just feel like they have to send something out. And so, therefore, as a reader, we start saying you get turned off, but they don't see it that way. And so if you start thinking in depth about your business, you'd be amazed at how you start to think differently about your business, number one. And number two, you're going to reduce your cost. If you're if you're sending out something monthly, and I understand technology has made it very cost-effective, but in theory – if you're sending out something electronically or the traditional direct mail pieces or whatever, if you cut something in half, let's say the traditional direct mail piece, you're going to cut your cost in half, you know, assuming a one-on-one ratio. So there are some other benefits to your business by thinking strategically as opposed to tactically. That is so true. We did have a question along these same lines. It says, is there a difference when your newsletter is an information services versus a sales tool? What's the beginning of that question? It says, is there a difference when your newsletter is an information service versus a sales tool? Yes. So the information service one, that one, that one ties directly into your brand. That's what I want you to know. I want to communicate some, uh, some key benefits about the brand. I want to provide information about a particular product. So I'm not necessarily trying to sell you anything. So you might use the information piece if you're launching a new product. Hey, thank you. We had this product for you. Here it is. Here are some of the key benefits. I'm giving you information about the product. The promotional 
newsletter is exactly what the name implies. You're offering special deals. You might be offering a two-for-one. You might be offering a discount. Or now with technology, you know, we may bundle services together. And so, so one is focused on the brand. It's information-driven. The other one is focused on communicating specific offers to help you drive business. So there are two distinct strategies. I've seen some people who try to mix the two. They will offer an informational piece and then try to, at the end of it, offer a special promotional package. I'm not a big fan of that because it creates confusion for the consumer. Again, we are being inundated with information. We need to keep it relatively simple and keep our messages simple for the consumers. So if you're sending out a piece that's focused on brand, make sure it's brand-focused. If you're offering a special deal, make sure that's your key message in your newsletter. But do try not to try not to mix it too, because it creates overall confusion. The next question we have, we have is how to communicate a name change. What's the best way to communicate a name change and a brand change? That's a great question because organizations struggle with that. I used to manage that in my corporate life. So you have a couple of different strategies. One strategy that I'm not necessarily a big proponent of is somebody will, for example, will just drop a name one day, and then the next day they will adopt the next name, the the new name, the new brand. That can create confusion with customers because we get so used to doing business with a particular brand, right? And as soon as you change the name, in my mind, I'm thinking you change the product. And therefore, that product no longer exists. Although you may not have touched the product, by virtue of you just simply changing the name, intuitively the way that we think is, oh, well, then you changed the product. I'm upset. Then you have the transitional name change. The transitional name change, for example, is where you have your existing name, and then you transition to the new name, and you still keep a tag, you still keep the old name as part of the new name for a while. So in other words, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get customers used to this new name, but understanding through the transition, we are still part of the, you know, our existing brand is still part of the organization. And then after a period of time, that name disappears. So that strategy is a little bit more effective because people are saying, okay, I'm comfortable. I still know that this is my, my, my product that I've been using, and I get it. They're simply changing the brand name. I'm okay with that. <clears throat> In both situations, we're still going to get pushback. So, again, going back to your business strategy of what you want to communicate and how do you want to communicate it, you figure out the best approach. I'm of the opinion I, would, I don't like to – I would never recommend just – on, on day one, on, on day 30, dropping a name, then the next day you got a brand-new name because you're creating confusion for the customer. I'm in, I'm in the camp of having a transitional brand name change. That way you're managing people's expectations and you're not surprising them when the name change officially occurs. You know, a good example, yesterday um, we've all heard about Kobo. Yeah. Right, Kobo, and yeah. they just changed their name to uh, TCF uh, in downtown mm-hmm. Detroit. But think about what they did. Is is you will say, well, Mark, they abruptly changed their name yesterday. No, they did not. <laughs> what they did is, see, as a consumer, that's what we see. But they started announcing this six months ago. 
They yeah. said, hey, we're going to slowly, you know, Cobo's going to be disappearing. Now, I'm a native Detroiter. We all know this Cobo Arena. We know this Cobo Hall, whatever. But six months ago, when they, when they closed the deal, they said, okay, consumers, okay, Detroit, metro area, we can expect a name change. Okay, okay, I'm not in them. Okay, that makes sense. And then think about what they did. They started teasing the new name. People started speculating. Is it going to be Chemical Bank? Well, Chemical Bank merged with TCF. Then word leaked out that it will become TCF. So for the last three to six months, they have prepped you for a name change. And then yesterday, the name change became official. So think about how many people are not surprised that Cobo is now the TCF center in downtown Detroit. Did you see, right. the, see the subtlety in that, in that whole strategy? That was really a six-month strategy that the employee to change the name from Cobo to TCF. That was a brilliant strategy. It worked. And it was no pushback. Yeah. This morning on consumers. That's true. That's true. Now, is there a particular time frame, though, for businesses that may be utilizing the new name and the old name for them to kind of let the old name phase away? Is there a metric or is there something that they should be monitoring or watching as to when the old name just kind of fades away? So, what in that situation, that's where you need to monitor consumer response. And you do and this one. I will encourage um, businesses to do ongoing surveys to make sure that customers are okay with the transition. So, from a timing standpoint, I have seen businesses do it for a month. I've seen them do it for three months. I've seen them do it for six months. You don't want to go. You don't want to. You don't want it to go too long, because again, you're going to create that confusion. And the example I like to give is. Is uh, I will use a cable company. I will reference them, but Xfinity Cable, right? We all know Xfinity is part of Comcast. So when they mm-hmm. first launched it, when they first launched Xfinity, I don't know, maybe ten years ago, whatever it was, they would say this: Xfinity by Comcast, Xfinity by Comcast. Because when people first heard Xfinity, they're like, "What is that?" And then their strategy was to introduce these commercials that kind of prepped you to say, okay, Xfinity, we're all for these types of content, these types of cable services, but they always tagged it with Comcast. Now, in that situation, they did it for a long time because Comcast has been around as a cable company for a long time. Eventually, they got rid of that name. So that, that, that transitional strategy probably lasted a year or a little bit longer. So now, when I say Xfinity, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You probably don't even think Correct. of Comcast. You think of Xfinity mm-hmm. Cable. So the strategy from your business standpoint, I would encourage from a timing standpoint, you know, probably 30 to 60 days if you're a small, if it were a smaller business, because you can also talk to your customers directly. You have personal relationships or business relationships and start having, start having individual conversations with them and say, hey, so you know, so you're not surprised, we're going to be changing our name. Okay, so 30 to 60 days is a reasonable period, of, is, a, is a reasonable amount of time to do that. Awesome. I know one of the things that we did when we went through a name change was I started trying to notice when customers started calling us by the new name. Mm-hmm. And that let me know, like, okay, they're catching on to the name change. They're catching on to the name change. So that was kind of one of the things that we monitored so that they would get to know us by the new name instead of the old company name. And so that let us know, and we did all of our, started phasing out all of our marketing materials and our business cards and all of that, start phasing out the old name 
and picking up the new ones so we no longer had to, you know, at that point everyone knew that there was a name change and the same company and all of that. And so we kind of were able to do that without there being any ruckus or people having any questions or anything. You know, let me take you back to my corporate experience for a second. One of the um, one of my most successful brand, I guess, repositionings was a major company in Florida. And it was a 12-month project. Now, again, granted, it was a larger organization, but we, we, we started working on something, I think it was in June of the previous year. We officially wrote it out April 1st, so 10 months later, we wrote out the new name. So it was a 10-month process that included educating our consumers, included preparing them what we were doing, preparing all of our employees. But the day of April 1st, which I believe was the date that we wrote it out, uh, you know, across the entire state of Florida, the bottom line was we still maintained that for the next six months, we still made affiliations or right, connectivity to the old name. And once we dropped the old name, we had very little. And I grew up with an example that you just gave. You started monitoring people's feedback and you started monitoring how they started to, you know, how they started to react and respond to the new name. So once we made the complete transition, I mean, we got some negative feedback. We always have some type of negative feedback. But I would recommend, I would suggest that we probably had 90 to 95% overwhelming response because we properly educated and communicated. And that's the other thing about communicating your brand. You don't want to wait to the last minute. Build it into your communications approach. Build in lead time and start communicating people with people early and often so they're not surprised. We don't like change. The average American, the average consumer doesn't like it when the apple cart is upset. That's so true. That is so very, very true. So now I've skipped over. We were way past our halfway mark. Um, on there to oh. do our recap, but I want to very much, you've given us so much information, and I have a couple of other questions that I wanted to get into or, or ask you. When it comes to logo and communicating our brand, what recommendation do, would you give to a business when it's coming to, you know, their logos and selecting a logo? Well, I think, first of all, if you have the resources, I would encourage you to work with a, a, a professional organization to do it, um, you know, if, if you could afford it or whatever the case, depending on your budget. Don't just wake up one night and sketch a logo out in the paper and then roll it out. That, that's not the best way to do it. What you want to do when it comes to your brand is you want to identify a logo that, that best represents what you're trying to communicate, okay? So, for example, logos nowadays should not be – wordy. They should not be wordy. Um, logos should be relatively clean. They should be succinct. But they still should represent who you, know, who you are as a business. So if you have a very cluttered logo and you're fixing it to your brand and that becomes your your primary logo, that's how, that's what consumer, that's how consumers are going to think about you, as a very cluttered business. I don't have time to read all this stuff in your logo. If you have something that's relatively clean, and it, it represents who you are as a company, and you can somehow communicate that to your customers, that's a huge benefit. So step number one is, again, understand what your brand is. What do you want to represent and what do you want to communicate? That's number one. Number two, if you have it in your budget, is work with a firm 
or you can find somebody who might be a consultant or might be relatively inexpensive, I don't know, but work with someone who's an expert in that area who can create some designs for you. Because otherwise, you're going to spend all day creating designs yourself. Do you have time to do that? Or if you have a staff person, have them be the person to focus on the global design. Number three is get customer input. You know, if you, again, if you don't have a huge budget, it's okay to show, show it to your friends. Show it to your customers. Show the before and after. Get their reaction to it. Number four, once you begin to get that input, then you make a decision based on what you feel best represents your organization. If you follow those four steps, of course, the most important part is certainly the, the budget and rolling it out. But if you follow those first four steps, I think that will enable you to identify a brand slash local, because the local represents a brand and vice versa, that you're going to identify something that's most relevant for your business, but yet is relevant to your customers and very germane to your customers as well. Awesome. Now, you mentioned to us that we, we know that you've worked for large companies and you've done some for those that are mid-sized. What are some of the mm-hmm. services that the Lee Group actually provides for small businesses where you can help them in these different areas? Well, one is certainly branding. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of our sweet spots. We, we have worked with so many organizations in terms of helping them to establish um, what, what their brand should be, how they should position in the marketplace, and how to communicate it. Um, but even more fundamentally, we help organizations create their strategic plans. And what I mean by that is, and when I say create, we, we help you to redefine it or, or evolve it. So you may have had a strategic plan from five years ago. I've had organizations called the Lead Group, for example, and say, hey, we've got this strategic plan. We don't know if it's still relevant. Can you help us determine the relevancy and whether or not we should fine-tune it based on the overall direction of the of the organization. So specific services that we offer are in the areas of strategic planning. Number two is in the areas of branding and personal branding. We help people create their personal brands. A lot of times we think about a business brand, <clears throat> but do you really understand your personal brand, how that ties directly into the overall business plan? Number three is we offer integrated marketing communications. Oh my goodness, what does that mean? <laughs> what that means is based on your strategic plan, based on your brand, what is your overall communications plan? How are you going to effectively communicate all your services, if you will, to your different customer bases, your different market segments, based on your expectations? So we help organizations to create an integrated communications plan. The key work that's integrated is we will help you to reach, we will help you to utilize various touch points to reach your customers. So a combination of traditional versus non-traditional. How are you using social media? How are you using new platforms of of media out there to reach your customer base? And then we also offer the fourth area is training and development. So we offer half-day seminars uh, in the areas of branding, in the areas of uh, helping you create public relations plans to deal with different situations. So we have a list of about five or six different services under the training and development tab. If you go to my my website, leadgroupinnovation.com, that's leadgroupinnovation.com, and click on services, you will see those services laid out for you. And uh, so it's, 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 a, it's a model that works for us, and uh, we try to uh, we tailor every single service for every individual business with a specific challenge. Okay. And so how often? 
often do you do your training and development? Is that just in May, the month of May, or is it quarterly? So, great question. I have a month. I have an annual workshop that's in the first week of May every year. And next year is the first Wednesday of May. I think that's May 6th. And so that workshop is a half-to-day session. And what we do is we identify a theme that we think is germane for that particular year. And we, we bring in speakers and, and panelists and workshop uh, discussion leaders as well. And they help me to certainly lead the workshop. That's from 8 to 1. And that's typically down at Tech Town in Detroit. So we do that every May. Secondly, excuse me, we also, that's our big one. We offer every year. But we also offer individual workshops and training sessions throughout the course of the year, depending on what specific business challenges are. So someone may reach out to us, a company will reach out and say, uh, for example, we are looking to do X, Y, and Z. Can you come in and work with that organization? So that we probably do, we do that once a month. And that's not publicized. And the reason it's not publicized, that's based on individual needs. And they reach out to us directly. But the big one to your question, Felicia, is every May uh, we offer that uh, the small business workshop, as we call it, the first month, the first week of, of May every year. This will be our sixth annual in 2020. I'm very proud of that fact that we started – um, five, five years ago now or six years ago and the watch it triple in size the number of sponsors will triple it's been truly a, a remarkable experience Awesome and now for those that did start late I didn't do the recap but tell us about your radio show Oh wow the radio show uh, Small Talk of Part 3 is five and a half years old it's a one hour broadcast and we, we talk about topics like this. We identify businesses or businesses will approach me, and what we do is we have a one-hour radio show. We have four 15-minute segments, and if, as people come on the show, we give them 15 minutes to share their story, talk about how they got into business, you know, talk about the challenges that they overcame to become successful or challenges that they've had to really work on and are still struggling so it's really a conversation like this, but over a 15-minute period, where you're not learning from me, but you're learning from other like-minded entrepreneurs. And I tell people it's a platform for businesses to share the stories and for people to learn by simply listening. So it's a one-hour broadcast. Uh, it actually airs Sunday mornings from 8 until 9 a.m. on WXYT AM 1270. It's also streamed nationally during that time via radio.com. And then once the show is over, we have a different .com for people can access the podcast uh, at their own doing. So they want to they go to my website, uh, which is leadgroupinnovation.com. They can access it at www.newsradio.com, also at soundcloud.com, thehubdetroit.com, and, uh, and also radio.com. So people love the show. It's not a live show. We tape it on Wednesdays, but it airs on Sundays. And I've had more response from people across the country. I've had people share the show in their classrooms as part of entrepreneurial classes. They'll listen to a particular segment, and students get a chance to um, to learn from it. So I'm very proud of that fact. It was a very successful radio show. People really enjoy it. They really do. It is. It's an awesome show. So if you have not listened to it, I highly, highly recommend that you do. 
But more importantly, I do highly recommend that you reach out to Mr. Lee. Um, obviously, he is definitely an expert in the field. And if you have the budget and, you know, contact him directly um, there for his organization that he's able to come out to your company and actually do the one-on-one -on -one with you. And if not, if you don't have the budget, wait till in May. Catch him every May. It's probably a really good thing to just kind of schedule every May I'm going to catch Mark Lee's small business workshop. You know, pencil it in. Um, there so that you're able to attend and get the information that you need to grow your business to what you want it to become. And as Mr. Lee just stated, there's information all over the place. And, but it's getting the correct and right information from the experts like Mr. Lee that will make the difference. Because there are a lot of individuals that are out there that say, you know, they can do this and they can do that. You want someone like Mr. Lou who has a proven track record, and I'll say that again, a proven track record of success. That's what you want. Because we all start out with, you know, how long we've been in the business. Saying how long you've been in the business does not state that you've been successful at it. Mr. Lee has proof that he's been successful at it. And so what I would very much, again, urge you to do is reach out to Mr. Lee, give us your information again so that they can reach out to you um, and contact you and go to your website and all that other wonderful stuff. Absolutely. My website is, is very simple. It's Lee, my last name, LeeGroupInnovation.com. And innovation is singular. That's LeeGroupInnovation.com. They can email me at... Mark, M-A-R-K, not C, Mark at LeeGroupInnovation.com. Or if they want to give me a call, uh, they can feel free to call me directly. My phone number is area code 734-507-0866, 734-507-0866. Now, if you call me, what I would like for you to do is to reference this podcast and reference Felicia's name. The only reason I say that, one, she's terrific. She's an outstanding hostess. She's doing a great job. But as you can imagine, I get a lot of phone calls, and and, and sometimes I prefer that if you reference somebody, then I will call you back. If it's just a cold call, uh, you, you will not always get a phone call in return from me. So just don't <laughs> the reference, reference this podcast, reference her name, and I promise you I will call you back. In other words, that means I am extremely busy, but I am willing to take your call if you say that you mentioned the podcast. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> but never too busy for Felicia, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Mr. Lee, for joining us on our Own and the Owner podcast today. It has been so much fun and it went, the time went by so fast, Alyssa's like, oh, my God, I can't believe the time went by so fast. <laughs> and there is so yeah. much information that you gave us that we, I am so sure that we all will utilize and use um, there in our businesses. But I do know I am marking it down on my calendar. Usually they keep putting it, every time I see it, they put it during the same time frame that it's usually the business week down there, and I'm usually speaking, and it's like, no, no, why do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but well, this this coming year, I am going to make sure that I'm even there um, for it. And well, so, again, 
Thank you so much for joining us. And again, thank you all of you guys for taking time out of your mornings and joining us again. And again, I want to say that uh, next week we will be back here at the same time and also bringing you another wonderful guest too as well. Have a great day. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.